you for listening to the Pentecostals of Bossier City Sermon Podcast. For more information, including our live webcast schedules, please visit www.pobc.cc. I'm going to immediately uh, just go into the Word, and I'm not going to have you stand throughout the entirety of it because I'm going through several verses here at the beginning, and there's going to be some gaps in between, but I'm just going to start off just kind of uh, immediately dive off into this. In Hosea, the first chapter, beginning in verse 2, Hosea, the first chapter, beginning in verse 2, let me get, before I proceed, let me get this, uh, this timer going on my phone, because it, uh, it, it does help a little bit, believe it or not, to know exactly how long this has been going on. Hosea, chapter 1, verse 2. When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go and take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry. For the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. This was not a new occurrence. This wasn't something that just started happening. This was something that kind of stayed with this land throughout the centuries. Year after year after year, they seemed to go through this same cycle over and over again. They would serve God and His blessings would rain down and they'd be prosperous and everything would go great. And then they'd get comfortable and then after the comfort, they'd start bringing in some false gods and other idols. And then everything would absolutely go terrible for a while until they repented. And then they would go back to the beginning and they'd start serving God again. And it was just this progression they went through over and over and over again. They'd praise God, they'd get prosperous, they'd let the idols in, they'd make God angry a little bit. Things would get really bad, and then they would repent. And once they repented, they just started over at the beginning. So going on to verse number 3 now. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel. For in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. Skipping down to verse number 6. And she conceived again and bore a daughter. Then God said to him, call her name Lo-Ruhamah. 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 Yeah, that's it. Which it's a lot easier to say the literal interpretation for this name which is just simply no mercy for I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel but I will utterly take them away going down now to verse number eight now when she had weaned lo Ruhama, she conceived and bore a son then God said call his name lo Ami which means literally not my people for you are not my people and I will not be your God. So with that incredibly depressing way to start a message, I'm going to now proceed and tell you the title, which should hopefully lift up your spirits just a little bit. Tonight we're going to be speaking on this subject, No Mercy. Everybody say, No Mercy. mercy. Say it with a smile to the person sitting beside you, No Mercy. Don't have a gruesome look on your face when you say that. It sounds like you're about to throw down in the octagon. They say that it's easier for us to forgive blood. It's easier to forgive somebody that you're related to. It's easier to forgive a brother, a sister, a mother, a father than it is perhaps, say, your neighbor 
or your coworker, or somebody of that nature because blood runs pretty thick. So when somebody offends you and they're a family member, you're a little bit more apt to forgive them because they're, they're family. Even though, on the other hand, family can sometimes be the ones that hurt us the deepest. But it's easier to forgive. As a general rule, it's easier to forgive family than someone who is on the outside. So first, God tells Hosea prophesying to his people, he says, no mercy, no more, I'm done, finished, tired of this. This is a really stupid game that we keep playing over and over and over and over again. So you're going to take a harlot as a wife. You're going to have one son named Jezreel. Seems fairly normal at this point. little prophecy going on there. And then they have a daughter and he says, call her no mercy. No mercy. Imagine if I name my son no mercy. Next son, I'm going to name him the plague. Third son, smallpox. Just imagine the gravity of these names. And as far as we know, this, this is something that the, he actually had to do. And if you notice in the scripture, the way that it phrases it, it says that Jezreel belonged to Hosea. This was his son. But with the next two children, it just simply says that she conceived. And so what we can probably look at and say, we don't know for sure, but the way that it seems, if they're children of harlotry, this means that these next two children were not even his. But they lived in his home, and they carried two very, very unfortunate names. No mercy, and not my people. It's brutal. It's kind of gruesome. But whenever he says this, no mercy, and not my people, he's also saying, you're not of my blood. You're not my kin. And it's not going to be so easy for me to forgive you at this point. And for the people of Israel, this had to be a scary scenario. This had to be terrifying. Because they lived in a constant state of messing everything up, repenting, and going through the cycle. This is where they lived. They survived off of God's constant mercy. They needed it. So when God sends his prophet and says, no mercy, it had to terrify somebody. According to Lamentations 3 in verse 22, it says, through, through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's, that's a good scripture. As opposed to the ones that we just read, that's one that you can kind of hang your hat on. That's one that when you read it, it should cause us to smile a little bit. It should cause us to have our spirits uplifted a little bit. He makes his mercies new every single morning. And every morning, for a general rule, I would say, I need him new every single morning. So Israel can recount this scripture and they can say, oh, phew, it's a good thing. It's a good thing because this was our habit. This is what we do. Fear God. Blessings backsliding repentance see it's it's nice to be forgiven it's forget even from the altar's perspective for a moment from god's perspective you take god out of the equation for just a moment although he's involved in everything don't get me wrong take him out of the equation for a moment it's nice to be forgiven it feels good when you know that you've done something wrong and you go up to someone and you say i'm so sorry I was wrong and it's taken me too long to even say this, but I want you to know from the bottom of my heart, I'm so sorry. 
And they say, you know what, that's in the past. It's all right. It's all right. And they either shake your hand or hug you, depending on the nature of your relationship. Or maybe they just turn around and walk away. But it's, it's nice to be forgiven. That feeling is good. That feeling is like a burden lifted off of our shoulders when somebody takes that off of you. Everybody who is here that is either in a relationship or maybe you're, you're married or you've been married for decades. doesn't matter, I don't think, how long in the process you're, you're kind of at at this moment. It's nice to be forgiven. It's really nice to be forgiven. When you say, baby, I'm sorry, I was, I was acting like a jerk. And they said, <laughs> she said, amen. I'll accept your apology later. <laughs> it's nice to be forgiven. In our family, we don't really say, uh, you know what, it's, it's fine, it's fine. The way that Sherry says it, this is her phrase. She says, you can hug me now. That in our house, that's, that's a form of armistice, right? So whenever she says that, it's not necessarily an end to the war, but at least there's a ceasefire for a few moments, and we can kind of settle the troops down for a little while. So it says, you can hug me now. I've never refused that because it might be a fleeting moment, and I don't want to make it worse, so even if I don't feel like hugging, I'm hugging. Because it's nice to be forgiven. We like to be forgiven. When you know you've done wrong and that person says to you and they mean it, it's okay. It's this nice, beautiful burden that's lifted off of us. But here's the other part of the equation. It's also, I think it feels really good to forgive. Because it's stressful holding on to a grudge. It's tough. Especially if it's a long-standing grudge and you have to be around this person a lot. Sometimes there's a lapse in grudge. And so you're hanging out with them and they say something funny and everybody in the group's laughing and you, and you get caught up and you're like, <laughs> ah, no, no. And it sounds childish, but adults do it. I've watched it happen with adults. You can see and they're just kind of like the courtesy smile. Just, you know, in the back of their head, they're thinking, I, I know what you did 17 years ago, three months, four days, 12 hours we, we know it's, it's good to have that burden lifted off of us when we forgive somebody. We like forgiveness so much that we even use God's mercy as an exclamation. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Is anybody, is anybody offended by that? I don't want to offend anybody. I don't know if that's one of those phrases. Lord, have mercy. And there's one that's not used quite as frequently, but it used to be mercy me. Does anybody still say, mercy me, mercy me, or you have somebody you know says it, almost nobody? That's because a Christian band came along and ruined that phrase for all of us. Because you can't say that without somebody being, I can only imagine. Because you know you're not saying, oh, oh, mercy, mercy me. Right? No? Anybody? Nobody? Dear God, don't let that happen. We, we, we use it as an exclamation. It's a turn of phrase. We're obsessed with this notion of forgiveness, of grudges, of saying I'm sorry, of being forgiven and even forgiving somebody else. But if you allow your mind to go back for a moment to our most significant moment of repentance, the load that was lifted off of our shoulders is impossible to describe with mere words. There's that sweet presence of God 
that settles in. And the only way to describe it is this overwhelming warmth. Because in that moment, even your tears are warm on your face. But as you dry them off and you stand up and you leave the baggage at the altar of repentance and you walk away, you're enveloped with this warmth that defies explanation. It's beautiful to be forgiven. It's beautiful to find forgiveness. And I don't know about y'all, but when, when my mind goes back sometimes and I start thinking about old times and old days, I inevitably wind up thinking sometimes of memories that I don't want to relive. Memories from a self that, that doesn't really carry over in the present day. I'm not the same person. Is anybody here changed by the blood of the Lamb? If you were changed by the blood of the Lamb, would you say amen? I almost said shout amen. Do that too. Shout amen. We're a different person, but the memories go back. And if I think about certain occurrences, the guilt also has a way of sort of trickling back in. And I remember there's this one thing that happened when I was roughly 17 or 18 years old. I don't know which year it was. But sitting back, I believe it was on the fourth row that night, we had a service. And all of my friends were sort of in the same situation as me, more or less. And that night, all of them broke. Which, we know that's a good term. It's not they were broke. They broke. And something happened in the spirit. And people started praying. And my friends just sort of filtered out of that pew. And they walked down to the front and they started crying, and because they hadn't been there in a while, you know how we do, everybody went crazy, and everybody was slapping hands, and they had the prayer huddles around them, and everybody was praying so hard, and I was standing back there at the fourth pew, feeling nothing but hatred, nothing but loathing, nothing but despair and anger and fear, and all these negative emotions just wrapped up into one, and I was watching, and it's as everybody sort of focuses on them, I see them kind of glancing over their shoulder at me. And I didn't feel anything. Nothing. And so I sort of slinked out of that pew and I waited till my parents weren't looking and I walked out the back door and I got in my car and I started pulling away down Viking Drive and I went down this way going east and I started talking to God. And I, I've mentioned this in a sermon a long time ago, but I'm, I'm not going to do it again tonight exactly what I said to God. Because not only does it still fill me with this element of guilt, but it makes people react. Because the words that I said to God that night, I will never stop being ashamed of. But I remember punching my steering wheel over and over again, screaming to the top of my lungs, saying, God, you talk to everybody else. Why don't you talk back to me? And then I proceeded to let him know exactly why I was so angry. And as the words came out, I didn't feel guilt at the time. But about a year later, I remember that, that occasion and my, my, my guilt sort of just started creeping back in. And I started crying over something that was so far in the past. But then the difference was a voice spoke back and said, it's okay it's under the blood. It's forgiven and it is gone. You can hug me now. It's in the past. You can hug me now. 
I'm not mad anymore. You can hug me now. And this is the beauty of being forgiven because as soon as the guilt is reapplied, all we have to do is let that still small voice speak back to us again and say, it's gone. It is under the blood of Jesus Christ for good. It's the beauty of being forgiven. There is nothing that we should be more grateful for than the unwarranted mercies of God. There's nothing more awe-inspiring than the tragedy, the beauty, and the ultimate triumph of the cross. But sometimes we forget And comfort has a way of dulling our memories. It dulls our gratefulness at times. See, when when you live with somebody for years and you're in the house and you each have your own things that you have to do in the house, you sort of lose a little bit of gratefulness for some of the small things over the years. The thank yous are spoken a little bit less frequently. They don't just roll off the tongue all the time. Or if they do come out, it's because you're thinking about it. I should probably say thank you now. To say thank you. Everybody has a job. Everybody has a role. And loving care eventually can transform into just simple busyness. Even the words thank you get lost in the noise. They lose their meaning. They lose their potency. And men, some of us husbands out there, we could probably do ourselves some favors if every now and then we remember to say thank you in a different way instead of just saying thank you but actually letting something come out of the heart that lets someone know it makes all the difference in the world because thank you loses its potency. If we're not careful, we can sing thank you during worship service but the words can trickle out without any real feeling. We have a duty We have a role. We have a part that we have to play. And at some point, Israel reached a place where the forgive us God that we used to speak became a mantra without meaning. Asking forgiveness just became part of what they did. They sang. They danced after passing through the Red Sea, which quickly gave way to the grumbling and speaking to Aaron and saying, Aaron, make us a God that we can see with our eyes. It loses its potency. Good king, evil king, worship God, worship idols, back and forth, praise, repentance, over and over again until God finally said, no mercy, nothing more. This pattern continued for so long and God was so merciful, so faithful to forgive. And then comes the book of Hosea. God commands him, you must marry a harlot to represent his relationship to Israel. They gave birth to a child, then later a daughter. No mercy, because I'm done. I'm finished with this. No mercy. I can't. This arrangement has outlived its usefulness. No more mercy. And then a third child comes along. And to just make the situation a little bit, of wor- a little bit worse, he says, you're going to name him not my people. If my people which are, hum- or, or, which are called by my name shall humble themselves. No, 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 stop, stop. It's not my people anymore. 
My people, which I led out of slavery. No, no, it's, it's, not, it's not my people anymore. And there's no more mercy anymore. God was washing His hands of a people that did not deserve Him in any way. He called the descendants children of harlotry. That was almost my title tonight, but that would have been even more pessimistic. Children of harlotry. See, even the most righteous among us tonight sitting in these pews could really be called children of harlotry. We don't like that. I'm living for God. I've lived for God for 35, 40, 50 years. Not a child of harlotry. We're the result of a relationship between God, the church that would never deserve Him, and the world that stains our past and maybe even our present. We sit in these pews tonight with the residue of this world still clinging to us. The smell lingers in our clothes. Its unclean air settles in our lungs and our thoughts are contaminated with its cares and its conceits. And how many times can we think back to when we crawled to an altar and we said once again, God, never again. Never again am I going to pray and ask for forgiveness for the same thing. Never again. No more. God, take this past from me. Wipe these stains in this field from my life. No more. I can't do this again. I can't pray the same prayer. I can't fall short over and over. In my thoughts, in my actions, in my deeds, everything that I do. God, I cannot pray this prayer again. And he just takes that blood. And he begins to wash us. His creation. His heart. His bride. And suddenly that prayer that was prayed with such desperation does exactly what it was intended to do. And we stand anew. We stand washed white as snow. We stand with no blemish on our record. And we walk out with thankfulness in our hearts. But is it on our mouths? Is it always in our thoughts? Is it always in our deeds, our interactions, the things that we say when we deal with these situations in life and people and relationships and work and school and all of these matters, is it constantly there at the forefront of our mind? This thankfulness that God, who we did not deserve, washed us so pure, so clean, so white as snow. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive them and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why would He do this? Why would God choose when His people, these children of harlotry, arrive at His doorstep over and over again praying these same prayers? Why would He forgive us? It's just who He is. 
It's who he is. Look again at verse number 9, Hosea chapter 1. Then God said, call his name, Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. But immediately, in verse number 10, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered, and it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there There it shall be said to them, you are sons of the living God. It's just who he is. It's just who he is. This is the God that we serve that no matter the blemish, no matter the transgression, no matter the stain, all it takes is for one heart to bow down in his presence and say, God, wash me of this filth and make me new again. Please, God, I want to be washed in your presence. If you have prayed this prayer and you have been given the opportunity to rejoice, would you just love God for a moment? Clap your hands and thank him with your lips for just a few seconds tonight. It took one verse, one single verse, because in the end, he just can't help himself. He hears the cry of his people. Yes, his people. And he cannot withhold his mercies. Hosea 2 and 16. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. Hosea 2 and 23. And I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. Then I will say to those who are not my people, you are my people and they shall say you are my God he just can't help himself it's accomplished through what is probably my favorite verse in the scriptures when you're young somebody asks you what's your favorite verse and if you go to Sunday school here they're probably going to say about 95% of the time Acts 238 because they're here in that Sunday school just to be different one time somebody asked what's your favorite scripture said Acts 239 because not only is the promise given but it's for everybody and it made sense. Just, it just had to be different. Everybody else said Acts 2.38. But one day I read this. It's Revelation 21 and 5. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Behold, I make all things new. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that we worship. This is the God that we stand here, sit in these pews, think about, pray about, lift our hands to and say, God, you don't just deserve my praise because of what you've done. You deserve it because I've never found anybody else so sweet as my Jesus. Behold, I make all things new. Right for these words are true and faithful. I'm closing if the musicians would help me tonight. I asked somebody the other day, because being raised in a pastor's home, 
you sort of forget this stuff. It's really difficult to do when you have a mic in one hand. Thank you, Clayton. Ask somebody, because I've been raised in a pastor's home, and whenever you're out and about and you see somebody from the church, say, hey, Brother Barry, how you doing? Hey, Brother Brandon. Say, hey, sister. And every once in a while, you see somebody go, we don't don't hardly think of it anymore because most places are going to say, hey, Mr. Barry, how you doing? But then they hear this, hey, brother, hey, brother Dean. And you see somebody kind of perk up. Just out of the corner of their eyes, who is, what are they? Well, they look a little different. Their clothes aren't black and white. Not exclusively. Don't see a carriage. So I don't know what's going on. We had, we, a few years ago in current, we had four Mormons who came to church with us for about a month. And they would come in and they were called Elder. Like 20. Hello, Elder Michael. It set them apart. It was distinct. Why do we say this? Hey, Brother Tim. Shouldn't have looked at me just then. I guess it's supposed, you're supposed to right now, but whatever. You see people look. Brothers. Sisters. See, it's, it's more complicated than just saying, I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. And this is how they will know that you are my disciples. You hear that and you say, yeah, that makes sense. Brothers, sisters. See, I want to thank God for forgiving what I have done. But then he throws that curveball at his disciples who had a way of bickering amongst themselves. I want to thank God for forgiving, but... I also want to forgive y'all. And I want you to forgive me. And you say, well, what did we do and what did you do? I'm, I'm not saying anything in particular. See, here's the weird thing. Jesus said, no mercy. He said, not my people. You're not my family. But then he would reverse course. He didn't just say, you're you're going to have my mercy. Don't worry. But he also said, I will call you my people. See, we love the forgiveness of God. And I could not dare to stand here without the forgiveness of God in my life. But it's easier to forgive blood. So when there's a brother... There's a lingering resentment somewhere deep in the heart. When there's a sister or something may have happened a few weeks ago and you haven't really talked about it, but they're just avoiding eye contact all of a sudden. It's just not the same as it was. But we still have to come to church and we still have to thank God for his forgiveness. See, y'all thought that this was just about thanking God for his mercy. But it goes a lot further than that. Because after he showered us with mercy, he said, now it's time for you to do the showering. 
See, Brother Ryan, they didn't, they didn't even tell me that they're sorry. I can't forgive them. They didn't even say that they did anything wrong. I hope that if there's any unconfessed, unrepented sin in my life, that God does not hold me to the same standard when I draw my final breath from this earth. See, I threw this turn at the end because it, it hit me towards the end. We are never more like Israel than when we are forgiven. But we are never more like God than when we forgive. See, in Bossier City, we've been busting through some barriers. We've busted through some that said, oh, we're just kind of complacent in the worship. No, 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 no. We, we, we didn't have time for that. There was enough urgency in us that we pushed through a little barrier there. There was, there was this fear that sometimes we cannot pray the prayer of faith, but then people start laying on hands and praying the name of Jesus, and healing start to happen, and we bust through a barrier. But if there's another barrier that we have to break through, and you might say, Brother Ryan, it's not me. I don't have any odd against anybody. Thank God. But even if you don't, it might be a good time to love somebody. We're never more like Israel than when we're forgiven. And we're never more like God than when we forgive. So here, church people, let's stand up together. Here's what we're dealing with. This is not prophesying. This is statistics. We have hurting relationships at homes. We do. We have unforgiveness at home. We have unforgiveness at people that are no longer a part of our lives. We have unforgiveness at people that are standing across from POBC West to POBC East. But there's no room for it in the body of Christ. And as good as it feels to be forgiven, I promise you it feels just about as good to forgive. So we're going to love everybody for a moment. If you're with your husband, your wife, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's fine. You can, you can take their hand. But I want us to take somebody by the hand. And I want us to march towards the front together there you go I don't want anybody walking alone if you see somebody alone you grab them and here's how we're going to get this atmosphere going with that person that you might not even be related to that you're holding their hand right now we are going to thank God together because there is a multitude of sins out in this crowd tonight that has been long forgiven some of them recently forgiven and some of you are saying you know what I need to do a little bit of re repenting at this very moment but we are going to raise the name of the God who forgave every sin and we are going to repent together and we're going to love Jesus together. And we're going to feel a good spirit start to fill this place. Are you ready? Take that hand. Raise it up to heaven. Jesus, there's not one thing that we did to deserve your love, your favor, your forgiveness, your mercies, your grace. 
But God, we stand before you forgiven, washed, pure and white as snow. Father, take our heart. We give it to you freely. Somebody raise your voice and talk to God a moment. Every one of us needs to thank him from the bottom of our hearts tonight. If you got sin in your life and you need it gone in an instant, start repenting right now. Those old sins that keep creeping back up to the surface. Say, Jesus, take them from me right now. Wash me by your blood. If you're carrying unforgiveness to somebody, it's a time right now to start letting go. God's going to nudge somebody's heart tonight and say, you need to send a text message. You need to make a phone call. You need to look somebody in the face and say, this is not worth it. Forgive me and I'll forgive you because we have to be bound together. Somebody love Jesus a little bit more. Don't give up just yet. We owe him a lot more than that. Jesus, bind us together. Bind us together with your love, Father. See, right now what we have we have one of those moments where it's kind of difficult to know what to do going forward but I, th- th- here's the truth of the matter there's a lot of us right now that say you know what? I, I'm searching my heart and I cannot find anything right now that I'm holding on to but I believe that there are people that are feeling the spirit right now who are desperately wanting to let go of a weight that they're carrying and they're tired of it the formula is simple It's to let go, to say I'm sorry, 
forgive me. And if they won't say, I'm sorry, say, I release you because I love you. This is how they're going to know that we're disciples of Jesus Christ. If we love one another. Father, somebody that's carried the burden long enough, I pray right now that you would help them again to release it. Take every single weight off of our shoulders, God. Take it from us. Let us lay it down at your feet. Let us find our brother, find our sister. Lift them up in our prayer and take them and wrap them in our arms. Bind your church together, Father. We pray it in your name. This is what I want us to do. It's not super spiritual. It's going around. And if if you're not praying, if you're praying, that's fine. You can continue. But if, if, if you just look around and you find somebody, you don't have to find somebody that you really need to forgive at this moment. Like if you're searching desperately, just find somebody to love. Guys to guys, ladies to ladies. If you just find somebody to hug their neck and just simply say those words, I love you. It feels uncomfortable. Sometimes. Not if you're all right with it. Hug somebody around the neck and say, I love you. Look them in the eyes and say, I love you. Turn around, find somebody else. If somebody's standing by themselves, make sure they know, I love you. Yeah.